Let's uh, bow our heads again as we come to the word of God and uh, just pray into this message. Father, your word is hard and true and stirs and breaks and mends and equips and transforms ultimately. I thank you for that. I thank you for the reality of that in our lives, Lord, as we experience it. And today I pray for my friends, Lord, I fear in one sense your words already had its voice with me. Would you do it again? Oh, Lord, but my friends here are about to hear. And so I pray for them that you would do that work of breaking and mending and growing and exhorting for your sake, for your glory, for our good. Lord, that if there be anyone here that, um, as it were, squirms on their seat, uh, you would draw them into that place of full and wonderful assurance, but not vainly, uh, truly, authentically. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work your power in each one of us. Lord, not, not over he is tickled, but to go in fear and trembling. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you probably can tell that today's message, if you've been listening to the reading that Ros brought us is heavy. Can't think of another word. It's heavy, it's real, it's grounded, it's um, moving, and there's no way of getting around it. You know, sometimes you kind of scratch the word of God and uh, trying to get deeper into it, not literally scratching it, and it's a purring pussycat. It's comforting and um, peaceful. But sometimes, you know, you do that and it's a seven foot tall grizzly bear with teeth and claws that you cannot go around, you cannot avoid. Somehow you have to actually contend with the teeth and the claws. And so this is one of those passages. Originally, I wanted to try and bring both ends of what Ros has read for us together to try and bring that powerful encouragement that comes in the, the second half of this section, but it's frankly just too big a message for me. And uh, I don't want to skit over some very, very important things in the first part. So my encouragement to you is to come to the next one <laughs> where we might get that little bit more exhortation encouragement. I'll try and encourage us. I pray that the spirit of God does that as we go through it. Um, but today's passage is so important because it concerns us, the church, and false Christianity, false belief in the church. And it's a warning. It's another warning. I mentioned right at the outset of our study in Hebrews that Hebrews contains three fundamental things. One is the supremacy of Christ just elevates him to his right place 
Two is perseverance, encouragement to persevere. And three is warnings. And if the early church in around AD 60 needed warnings, then we're no better, are we? <laughs> we're much further in time away from Christ's first coming and much nearer in time to Christ's second coming. So the warnings are equally important for us. And the warnings in Hebrews are about making sure that our faith is authentic. Literally making sure that our faith is in Christ. Not in church, not in faith, do you know what I mean? Or have faith in faith, not in the world, obviously, but in Christ specifically. And the evidence that our faith is authentic is in two ways, in Hebrews at least. One is in the perseverance of our faith and the book is encouraging us to do that as i've already said perseverance to the end especially through suffering suffering peter reminds us not to be surprised right when if necessary pain and suffering comes so that our faith may be tested for its genuineness hebrews earlier says take care brothers lest there be in you remember he's talking to the church i think that phrase will come up a bit today take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today and today is always called today, right? That's what he's saying. Exhort one another all the time, right? Today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Perseverance. The Apostle Paul at the end of uh, Second Timothy says much the same about perseverance. He says to Timothy, I'm about to die. I'm already being poured out, he says, as a drink offering, offering and the time of my departure has come. But, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the, I have kept the faith. He's about to die. But he's persevered in his faith. He was a man that knew what suffering was, wasn't he? And so perseverance in faith is one of the ways that we can know that our, our faith is real, it's authentic, it's in Christ. But the other way is seen by how we grow or should grow in holiness. It's a subject so often in the modern church that is left out that it's not somehow necessary. But if we're not growing in holiness, we need to question where we are with Christ. So another warning, and it's very easy with this text to get caught up in the question that is asked all the time, is it possible for Christians to be Christian and then to lose their faith? 
And sometimes I think that answering that question in this text actually takes us away from the meat of the text. So I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on it. If you want to know more, please do speak to me about it. I've studied this really heavily in the last few weeks to make sure that I'm not telling you something untrue. And I think I can say quite categorically, the Bible argues that it's not possible to be justified by God and then to be unjustified, to be declared righteous and then to be somehow declared unrighteous, to be in Christ and then somehow to be out of Christ, to have a new generated person, right, born again and then somehow to be unborn again. It just doesn't make sense. There are words in this section and section six that are hard to understand. But Paul says in this, that's not Paul, the writer of Hebrews says in this very chapter that God is has perfected, future tense, for all time those who are being sanctified. So if we're being made holy, God has perfected us, future, but complete. And if you're perfected, you can't be imperfect right so it doesn't talk about christians being christian and falling away it talks about people that think they're christians falling away the apostle john says those that went out from us that appeared to fall away went out because they were not of us they weren't christian and the church has lots of non-christians i don't know how many Sometimes I wish that when you become a Christian, you kind of get a halo, right? right? You get a beautiful gold halo beaming with light. And so you can see straight away that somebody else is a Christian, but it doesn't happen that way. Only God knows. But there are definitely Christians in the church that aren't, or people in the church that aren't Christian. So I want us to get the point of this text right Human being, us, others, love to distinguish things, to create points of distinction, mostly between one another. Think about it for a second. All cultures do it. We do it. That person's wealthy. That person's poor. In Britain, you have the upper class, whoever they are, the aristocracy. Then you have, nowadays, the upper middle class. <laughs> then you have the middle class. Then you have the lower middle class. And then you have, well, the lower class. So there are these distinctions that are made around status, standing, money in the bank, history. It goes on and on. We distinguish by color, by ethnicity, by education, constant distinctions. We create categories. But imagine for a second you could get all the beings, the human beings of the world together in one big place. Maybe we'd call that the world. For God, there are two categories. And they're not about ethnicity or wealth or education or status. They're about whether or not you're positionally in Christ or not whether you are positionally in faith in Christ such that you are a new creation or not. Another way of saying the two categories is about whether there remains 
a sacrifice for sins for you or whether there doesn't. And this verse has that problem in it. It's very, very serious. It's very serious because it brings judgment. It brings judgment. Let me read the text for you again. Verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation, right? A position where you should expect to be afraid because you expect something and that something is judgment. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And at the end, verse 31 there, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, of the living God. It's fearful. Play with this, you know. Every one of us, when we fall into the hands of the living God, when we enter that holy of holies, will be judged. Christian and non-Christian. And the only difference in the outcome is the blood of Christ shed for those that put their faith in christ that's the only difference none of us can enter in and say well i'm uh, upper class or i'm educated or whatever i did good deeds that just doesn't make a difference and so honestly be afraid be fearful we often use the language that god is awesome don't we how about taking that language to its next level? And God is all full. Sounds very negative. But he's full of awe. Right? Think of it that way. That's something to be feared. Something or someone to have reverence for. And I don't know whether you, like me, perhaps sometimes are concerned with whether you're saved. Sometimes it's true, I think we have more assurance than at other times. The Bible says we can have an assurance, but there are times when we fail, perhaps, and we think, well, am I saved? Good question. Now just take that little, oh, I'm going to come up with a food analogy, it's always a mistake, but just take that little salad, right, and get the salt and pepper and shake it on the top. What's that? Be afraid. Be afraid. That's the, the, the saltiness of this. Do you have a fearful expectation of judgment? Are you concerned that there is a fury of fire? Are you concerned that hell is real? That sin has a, an impact, a significance? Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The same book tells us earlier on that is appointed for man to live and die once and then to be judged. It's a fearful thing. We should be concerned about it. And today in churches all around the world, especially modern so-called progressive evangelical churches, we have a problem with this situation. We have this idea that grace doesn't really Sorry, that sin doesn't really matter too much because there's enough grace. And people often go around quoting, I think it's Romans 6 or 5, 
uh, actually it's three, isn't it? As sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It doesn't matter. There's enough grace. I can live how I want. And it's a terrible lie. That some churches say that if you profess Christ as your Lord and Savior and then go on sinning the way you were before, it's okay because you're saved. It's not okay. It is not okay. It is a terrible, terrible lie. But isn't grace enough? The sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Come on, what does that really mean? Well, it means this. It doesn't matter what level of heinousness your sin is. There's enough grace. That's what it means. And you continue in sin. But if you're in Christ and you confess and you repent, there's enough grace. But not by way of saying it's okay to live how you want. I've met people that know that, that believe this. They believe it doesn't matter going down the pub and getting drunk. It doesn't matter sleeping around. It doesn't matter lying. Because there's enough grace to come back. And sometimes churches, they have this thing, right, where they do a confession, not thinking of any particular churches. They call people to confess, and they go through a spoken confession. Sometimes I wonder whether people think, well, it's okay, I've lived a terrible week, but I'm in church now, and I can somehow read through this thing. There's nothing necessarily going on in the heart, although, of course, there will be for many. And it'll all be okay. Well, that's not true. It's not true. We call this cheap grace. Cheap grace. And if you want to find out a way of explaining just how bad this is, Hebrews has it for us. Because the writer of Hebrews here creates a comparison between the law of Moses and the work that Christ has done in relation to how we treat him. Let me read it for you. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, you Hebrews, right? In the Old Testament or in this time, because you know the law, right? You're Jews. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, as you know, dies without mercy, just on the evidence of two or three witnesses, listen, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of Christ or the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and is outraged? The spirit of grace. Just pause and reflect on that concept. That's what cheap grace is, right? Oh, thanks a lot for salvation. Uh, I'm just going to carry on living the way I want now in sin. Not growing, not changing, not repenting, not confessing. What, is, what does that really say to Jesus? You don't really matter to me. Your, your blood which I know the Bible says is of immeasurable worth because you're the son of the living God, doesn't really matter to me. But coming to the table and having contempt for what's actually going on here. Oh, I'll just drink the juice and the, eat the bread because that's what I'm meant to do. What's going on in here? That's what trampling the son of God underfoot. Think of that image. 
Christ walks in, lays down on the floor, and you run over him. You trample on him. Serious business. You profane the blood of the covenant, and you outrage the very spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit who is offering grace. You spurn it. You outrage in the name of grace. It's so bad. I have enough grace for all my sins, so it doesn't matter how I live. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to hear that. So there's the warning inside here, right? Where are you at? What are you doing? You're continuing in sin? You're treating Christ with disdain? And the pivotal verse for us that kind of opens it up and helps us to explore whether or not we're in that situation is the first verse there in 26. I'll read it again. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sinners. Literally, if you continue in sin, then you're actually not saved. There is no sacrifice of sins for you. Now, I know that the sacrifice of sins is for the whole world, but he's talking specifically to the church. Don't come into the church and think that you have received the sacrifice for sins just by coming to church, just by professing Christ, or going to a Bible study, even exhorting and encouraging one another. If you don't know Christ, if you're not in a living relationship with him and the authenticity of your faith by perseverance and fighting against sin is not present because you're not a Christian. You do not have that sacrifice for sins. I want you to note that that um, passage there rests on the knowledge, receiving the knowledge of the truth. So there are those outside that we have preached the gospel to who have heard the knowledge of truth. But there are those that came into church that claimed to receive the knowledge of truth. And it's different. And that's our, our desire, isn't it? That as we preach the gospel or as people come to study Daniel or whatever's being studied in the Bible, that they will not just hear it, but they'll receive I would remind you, says Paul, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, which you stand on, by which you're being saved. If, there's, there's the perseverance, you hold fast to the message I gave you. These people claim to have received the knowledge of truth. Well, what is that knowledge? Well, it's literally his gospel. And there's a good side to the gospel and there's a hard side to the gospel i'm going to say a bad side and we'll see why so the good side well that's the gospel right mankind needs saving put simply we've all fallen short of the glory of god and sinned and rebelled against him not one of us can say well i haven't and so we are on the trajectory of hell and we cannot stop that. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot pay for our own sin. The debt is too great. We aren't even perfect. And if we were, we could scarcely pay for our own sin, let alone someone else's. 
But thanks be to God, in the midst of that, God sends his son, who is perfect, born under the law. Sound familiar? It's all in Hebrews. Born under the law. Lived a perfect, holy life. Fulfilled the law two ways. One, he was obedient to it. He's born under it because he is holy. Secondly, he died on a cross for it in accordance with your sin. You that received this truth. Even more amazing, and that good side is that it, after his death, he rose again. Wow. He lives. So we too can walk in newness of life, Romans 6. That's how we need to be walking, because he was raised from the dead. Newness of life walks perfectly again before the, the Father. Let's, we ought to do the same. You're already raised from the dead if you're a believer. Do you know that? Well, how's that, Sam? I'm going to die. Yeah, but Jesus says if you die, you'll live. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. You're already living in the resurrection in, in this time. There's a different kind of resurrection coming, the bodies. Don't get us confused. But more than that, the good news is that Jesus Christ was ascended to the Father's right hand. He reigns in majesty. He's the king. One day every Buddha would every evil person will be made his footstool. And that's the good side, right? Does that sound familiar? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, says Paul. It's the power of God to save the Jew first, but also the Greek. Everybody, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Amen. You know what it says next? For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. This thing that we're trying to get out so people can receive, they suppress the truth by their unrighteous deeds. That's how wicked the heart is, deceitful above all things. There's a good side and there's a hard side. That's the truth. And if we don't preach or share or, or, or get people in Bible studies and are honest about the hard side, we're only giving them half the message. And if we give them half the message, they're coming to church for the wrong reason. They'll come in because it's interesting or fun. You know, I was chatting to a friend this past week who has moved away from Armadale and is considering what church he uh, might go to. Uh, he's not, he's only an hour and a half away. So I told him it's obvious, should be coming to Chapel Street. He said he'd like to, but he was looking at a church on the coast, a Baptist church. And if I remember correctly, he said uh, on their website, they advertise the church as a fun and exciting place to be. Sounds great. But it doesn't sound necessarily godly. I don't know the church. That's not what we advertise. Come to church. It's a fun, friendly Exciting place to be. The truth is good and it is hard. God is loving and his loving is just. Did you get it? He is just and the justifier of the one of his faith in Christ Jesus. We leave it out. It's the hard stuff. So these people that the writer of Hebrews is talking to in the church have received the knowledge of truth. They are in the church. 
But then the text says, or the text starts with, if we go on sinning, and then the word deliberately, and this is where the rubber hits the road. This whole idea of going on is uh, troubling. It's present continuous. It's just literally continuing in. Now, this is hard, right? Because we're all sinning. Raise your hand if you haven't sinned today. Good. Uh, as one person says, we're sinning continually all of the time. His argument is simply that uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. And if you're doing that, you're not sinning. But are you doing that all the time? <laughs> no. So we've got to be careful here because we're all sinning. Does this refer to me? That's the question we should be asking. Are we continuing? Are we making a provision to continue sinning? Or has something changed in us that is now causing us to say, hang on a minute, I'm sinning. That's, that's not right. I've got to work out how to stop that. And then the real most powerful word in this verse is the word deliberately. You see, there are sins that we commit that we don't know that we're committing. So we can't be committing them deliberately, but our nature is committing them because by nature we are of Adam. We are sinful and we sin. And incidentally, in the Old Testament, if you want to know, there's a provision, a sacrificial provision for sinning without knowing. The sins of uh, without knowledge. But deliberately implies something else, doesn't it? It implies willfulness. Willfulness. That's more than just nonchalantly getting something wrong and finding out that it's sin. It's designing almost to get something wrong. I'm reminded just briefly there of Romans 1 that continues through the story of creation and how men uh, exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for themselves and they were handed over in their sin. And at the end of that section, it has a long list of people leading others astray in sin. And one of the things that it comes up with is inventors of evil. You heard that, friends? Inventors of evil. Men were invent they deliberately conjured, created, planned, to do evil we haven't done that that's a terrible let's do that but that it's deliberate it's willful in spite of the truth that they've received they're not growing they subscribe to cheap grace they're not fearful of god they don't realize that there is a fiery judgment that is coming and consequently they're just walking all over jesus christ the one person in all of create not creation in all of the universe that does not deserve to be walked over is the very person that died for the sin of the world right friends do not be fooled by cheap grace think about yourself your sin you know that there are some things you do deliberately you know you shouldn't do. And 
now, says Paul in Galatians, the works of the flesh are evident. These are big ones. They're small ones. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then he says, and things like these, right? The list can go on. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is where it just, for me, gets terrifying. He's talking to the church. Romans 6, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal flesh that you obey its passions or its lusts. Somehow you can claim to be a Christian, you can come into church and somehow sin can reign. Well, if sin is reigning in your mortal flesh, who isn't reigning? It's obvious, isn't it? It's Jesus Christ. He's talking to the church. Colossians 3, put to death, I love this language, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's coming. We're, we're closer to it than it's ever come, ever, ever been, right? 2,000 years on, Christ is coming. He's talking to the church. You getting the message? Everyone, says John, who makes, listen, a practice of sinning, right? deliberately going on. Right? It's part of our lives, we're practicing sin. And let's be honest, there are sins that we are practicing. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins? And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this is difficult because if we're honest, there isn't one of us here that could say, if that was to be taken in an absolute sense, that we were Christian, but we are. And so there's a difference. Don't be fooled by cheap grace. Get inside this place. Sit at the feet of this place. I love the painting by Rembrandt of the cross. He's got a crowd of people sitting at the bottom of the cross looking up. And he paints his own face. You know that? He puts his own face there. He wants to imagine himself sitting at the cross. And we need to do the same. We need to get inside that and visit correctly, as it were, you know, that's metaphorical, but to visit correctly the place where Christ died, to visit the tomb, to visit the resurrection, to visit the ascension, and to visit the second coming, because that will challenge our living. Vengeance is mine, says the text. I will repay, says the Lord. And then it says the Lord will judge his people. 
the Lord will judge his people. That's a reference to the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, the people, his people, were ethnic Israel. And not all of them believed. And they were judged. And guess what? Here's his people now, today. Right here, it's you. He will judge us. That's why the writer puts it in. Told you it was a grizzly bear. It's scary, isn't it? Do you, do you see how serious it is? So where do I sit? Where do you sit? Where are you with your sin? What does it look like? How big is it? How small is it? How predetermined is it? Is it continuing? Well, in one sense, all our sin is continuing. In another sense, some of it is being put to death. We will have sin all the way to the grave. We won't die. And we'll be risen and there won't be any more sin. And I long for that day. But there are things we need to get in order. Otherwise, we cannot claim to be a Christian. So to unlock the passage, just turn the key one more turn. To open the door, I want you to notice this. At the very beginning of this passage, it starts with the word for. For if we go on sinning deliberately, having received the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, the for obviously links back to what's been said before. That's what it's for. And the for has the writer telling us that we have a confidence to enter the holy places. Remember this last time? And because we have a confidence to enter the holy places, there's a few things we need to do. First one was to draw near. Let's draw near with a full and sincere heart. That sounds good, right? Sincere heart, authentic faith. The next one is that we need to hold fast our confession of hope. There's the idea of persevering. I believe in Christ. I'm going to follow him. And the last one is that we need to exhort one another to love and good deeds and not forsake assembling together to being the church, to come together, because that's the place when we exhort to one another to love and good deeds. And he ends that section with what? Because Christ is coming. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's meet together. Let's draw near. Let's hold fast the confession of our faith. Let's spur one another on to love and good deeds and exhort one another. Let me tell you this, one of the exhortations is this, stop sinning, stop that thing, don't trample Jesus Christ underfoot, don't profane the blood of the covenant, the spirit of grace is here, why would you do that? We need to exhort one another to do that, I need it, do you need it, or is it just me? It, you need it, right? I need it, that's one of the reasons I come to church. One of you rebukes me, I hate it, but it's good. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? We can go up to one another and be deceitful, and as the second half of that proverb is, and just give kisses to our enemy or as an enemy. Oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Exhort one another to love and good deeds. Exhort one another to stop sinning. 
to make one another accountable. So important. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, Jesus is coming. Friends, he is coming. Do you believe that? Do you believe it enough to change your life? Because that's where it's at. That's what he's on about. Stop sinning. Stop making excuses. Stop being lazy, because sometimes you have to fight, don't you? We're coming on to that in a second. Don't make excuses. If you see yourself making some kind of subtle plan to sin, confess, stop, give up. You know, the uh, Puritan John Owen used to say, or has said in one of his texts, um, whenever I'm tempted to sin, I look up and see my Christ, that's personalization, my Christ dying on the cross, writhing in pain for me. Now, that's not trampling him underfoot, that's lifting him up and saying, why would you die for me? How can I serve you? That's it. That's how he used to fight sin. What a great way to fight sin. Come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. He's the judge. He's the one who's got the right to judge. You know why? Because he was judged <laughs> for you. Do you think he can't judge you? I took the penalty for you. You're not obeying me. You're not, you're not really mine. Check out whether you're sinning, continuing to sin, whether it's deliberate. You know, one day, the Bible tells us that the mortal flesh that we are, the sin-laden mortal flesh, will put on the immortal flesh. The text is Paul in Second uh, Corinthians 15, I think, first. It tells us that the incorruptible, the corruptible rather, will put on the incorruptible. Paul says, when that day comes, then shall come to pass the saying, O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is thy victory? And then he says this, the power of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that victory is the victory, right? Christ is the conqueror over sin and death. Christ is the sacrificial lamb that is raised from the dead and there needs to be no more. Christ is the great high priest over the house of God. Christ is the intercessor. Christ is the creator. Christ is the radiance of the glory. He has absolute victory. But sometimes I think that text is also daily victory. Daily victory. When I'm tempted to sin, how do I get victory in Christ? By returning to him, by seeing his sacrifice, by confessing who he is and by confessing who I am. And guess what? repenting that's what it is <laughs> what does it mean metanoia you're walking this direction metanoia you turn and walk in that direction. it's a very simple analogy that word right repent turn and walk towards god stop walking away from him but listen if you don't confess and you just try there's nothing going on in here but if you confess you come clean to god about who you are guess what you've got authentic faith that's you can't inauthentically confess not if it's real confession it doesn't make any sense but if you come to christ and genuinely come and say lord i can't 
can't stop sinning and I don't want to. That's That's got to be the most basic prayer of all, isn't it? Wretched man that I am, who will save me against this body of sin and death? Same deal. Thanks be to God. Let's give me the victory in Christ. So this morning, I'm sorry it's such a heavy message. I found it very, very heavy. I promise you the next bit will be a bit, a bit lighter, a lot lighter, because it's much more powerful. I might even read a bit for us, to be honest. Consider where you're at. You come here every week. I know some of you more than I know others, but I know all of you a little bit at least. And I love you and you know me a little bit. Consider where you're at. Consider those things that you're continuing in deliberately, willfully, and question whether or not you need to come to Christ to turn. A few weeks ago, we were looking at our annual verse. I won't test you on it. And we looked at this passage at the end. And I'll give you this to, actually, yes, to encourage you, to encourage me. And John says this about what he's seen and what he's heard, the message he's received, that he shares. He says, this is the message. This is it. That we've heard from him, Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you God's light. His light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship in him while we walk in darkness, while we continue in sin deliberately, guess what? I'm going to read that again. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the... And the truth is that Christ died for your sins. So don't trample him underfoot. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and with him. And the blood of Jesus that we won't profane cleanses us from all unrighteousness because there is a sacrifice for sins when you're in Christ. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. Listen, this is the absolute base of this message. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It's so important that that justice is there. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At the end of the day, my question to us is, in the midst of all of our sin, our continuing sin, are we confessional to God about it? Do we come to Christ and confess who we really are, what we're really like? And listen, when that happens, a fight starts, doesn't it? A fight starts between your old self and your new self. And listen, is that happening in your life? If it is, praise God. <laughs> Because there's a sacrifice for your sins. It remains because you're saved. But if there isn't one, then you need to think about that. Friends, 
It's a hard message. I just encourage you by saying, don't go on sinning deliberately. Recognize there's a fearful expectation. It's real. There's a judgment that's real. It's fiery. It's true. There's a real hell. Sin matters. Don't trample the Son of God. You don't want to get there thinking you're a believer and you've just sinned your whole life and not uh, fought against that for his glory. And you come in the presence of Jesus and he says, no, you trampled all over me. You profane the blood that I offered for sin. Heed the warning. That's why it's there. Heed it. Listen to it. Confess. Repent. Next time we will do this, persevere. Because uh, the writer goes on to talk about, but remember, remind yourselves of your former days, the experience you've had. Be reminded there is a fight, there is a struggle. And so you are, if you're in that situation, safe. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and our most, most loving, merciful, heavenly Father. Lord, as we uh, ponder and reflect on what we've just heard from your word, I pray, Lord, that each one of us would be honest, would be serious about who we are, where our walk is at. Lord, if we are honest, we know that at times we don't always walk in the light. We put our toe in the darkness. Sometimes we jump in completely. Father, help us to confess. Help us to see the worth of Christ, the worth of his blood, the enormity of his sacrifice, the seriousness of the second coming. And help us, Lord, please, to confess, to repent, and to live. In Jesus' name, amen.